We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Transfer Show on True Faith Patron. We are joined by, uh, and free um, with ads, of course, um, we are joined uh, by Charlotte. Hello. Hi there. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. I'm great. And our special guest tonight is the Athletics' Chris Woff, who's been absolutely all over uh, this window, like like a hornet um reporting on all the reports and rumors and conjecture chris thanks very much for joining us how are you feeling mate well that's quite all right i'm feeling good i've got a celebratory beer here just to just to celebrate the end of of, of the transfer window um you you guys are going to make me relive it but uh but yes other than that it was uh it was weird last night because it's sort of like just after burn was confirmed then just when the window shut it was like Obviously, I'd been knack throughout the day. It felt like I was work, I was on fumes, and then all of a sudden, I just got this rush of adrenaline again. And then I just didn't, <laughs> I just, I just didn't get to sleep after that. And it was just, oh, oh this no. is this is how it, this is how it's going to be. I'm never, I'm this transfer window's never going to leave me. I'm not allowed to go to sleep. It's going to just keep going on. But no, it's been, it's been exhilarating. I mean, I, I sort of tweeted earlier the, the piece that George and I did because George and I did a piece at the end of the window, which was. So it was long in the end, and I don't think the desk were particularly happy with how long it was, but just to try and explain how exhaust it was like an exhaustive piece for an exhausting window because this it's been like nothing it has been unprecedented, certainly like nothing I've ever dealt with before. And to just to try and get across some of the the, the madness from my perspective. I mean, you know, you can imagine what it's actually been like on the very inside of it, where it just must have been absolutely be- bedlam essentially throughout the whole month. So yeah. But it's also- like you sort of um sorry, Charlotte. No, I was just going to say it also offers some kind of catharsis, doesn't it? To kind of like talk it through and be like, oh, yeah, it really was absolutely bonkers. And, and of course, I'm knackered and feel like I'm going mad. It was yeah, crazy. I mean, it was like, because obviously the way the window had started and we expected it to be a sort of so much Newcastle trying to do so much business. And so early on, we decided, oh, we'll, we'll do a piece at the end of it, sort of like trying to explain it. And the initial plan, or at least I thought the initial plan was, it was going to be, I was going to, deadline day was going to come after deadline day would then do it. But because it was, it, it became so chaotic towards the end and so manic, it was like, well, when do you really need to do this now? So at about uh, at deadline day, I, I got up and, and the plan was like, right, I'll start and then, and then I'll go and make a pot of coffee and that'll get me through the day. And it was about 11 o'clock before I could even get up to have the breath to be able to go and, and make coffee. And then at that point, oh my, that my my editor called me and he said, um, 
Chris, I, I think actually it would, be, it would be really good if we could have that piece, you know, to go first thing tomorrow. And I'd, I'd made like loads, loads of notes throughout the month, but there were no order whatsoever. And obviously I'm taking calls throughout <laughs> the rest of the day. <laughs> Thankfully, George called at that point and George was like, right, I'll start and I'll, and I'll make it so we've got sort of a, a, a sort of structure going. And then and then when you can jump into it, you add on it in all the bits that's been going on throughout the month. So yeah, it was it was good. But I'm glad we got it because I think I think it it worked in the end. Hopefully, it just yeah, it, it did. Maybe maybe the way that it's written just reflects a sort of manic end to the window as well, <laughs> in terms of how it was written as well. So. Well, I did read it all, uh, so it wasn't too long. Obviously, um, <laughs> loads of great insight. Um, do check it out if you get a chance, uh, listeners. Um, because yes, they've <laughs> George and Chris have put the heart and soul into that, um, and and yeah, it does. It, it really does kind of um, yeah. You, you get a representation of the chaos, and, and uh, you've been on an ordeal. I hope the Athletic are going to offer some sort of aftercare package for you, Chris. Some <laughs> yeah, your PTSD because they we were worried about you, man. <laughs> no, well, to be fair, that they've been very good. George very naughtily also sent me a, a present today as the delivery, which which came of of a lot of alcohol. So he clearly, oh, he clearly is thinks, that what you're he, he, oh, he so yeah, exactly. He clearly thinks that I need it. So, um, so yeah, it's been uh, no, they, they, they've been great. I mean, it's been it's it, to be fair, it's been it, it, it's what I, I wouldn't have wanted it to, to to have taken a step back. I mean, this is what this is what I compared to what I've put up with over the last five years, as, as six years as a journalist, and I know it's even worse as fans, but to have gone through that, to suddenly go into this, it was, it, it's it's something that, yeah, it, it, even even in the future when hopefully if Newcastle survive and there's great windows going forward, there isn't going to be one like this because this, the, the position that they were in, um, the the business they tried to do, the inexperience of the owners, the whole situation, it was unique and, and the challenges that they faced and, and the amount of business they tried to do, which is why it just it, it was something that was good to capture in that moment and, and to have experienced. I, I quite happily never experienced a window like it again, if I'm honest, <laughs> but I'm glad it happened. Well, January is nope. more crazy than the summer, isn't it? So hopefully the summer will be a bit more spaced out, a little bit less manic, a little bit more considered, maybe. Well, in theory, and I mean, if they have a, if they have an executive structure in place, as they want to do a director of football, CEO, that they'll have more time going into it. Once they have an idea of which division they're going to be in, they can be more considered going into it. Whereas the, the part of the, I wouldn't call it panic, but part of the stress of this window for them and the, and the reason that things changed so dramatically at various different points was their increasingly perilous position in the table, and that changed the need for certain players, certain positions, and then when they couldn't get players. And then they were offered players left, right, and centre. So yeah, that, that's part of the reason why it sort of turned out as it did. And I, I just can't see that happening again in the future. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Yes, not. exactly. But, um, but yeah, but let's but let's get down to it, Chris. Let's 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 look at that window. For a starter, do you think the club has achieved what it set out to achieve this window? I think that they have, with the caveat that. I don't think they got all of the positions, certainly not all the players they wanted, but there was always an acceptance. They were never going to get every single first choice, but I don't think they quite covered every single base that I've liked. If you, if you ask me to score the window out of 10, I'd probably go for seven or eight. I think that Newcastle are stronger now, significantly stronger now than they were before the window began. Do I think that they now have a squad which will survive without doubt? No, I don't think they're in that position where you can look at it now and say there is no doubt that they are going to pull away from the, the relegation zone. I think it would have been very difficult to have even done that, regardless of who they, they would have brought in, to, to transform a team that has won two games all season to suddenly think that they're going to go and survive, even if you bring in really good players. I think that was unlikely. But for them to have completed five deals, 
for them to have eventually got a centre-back, that was essential. If they'd have ended the window without a centre-back, I would have said that at least part of it was a failure because that was the number one position throughout. He wasn't their top target by any stretch of the imagination, but he, they wanted a left-sided centre-back. They got that. They got a defensive midfielder, which was the other priority pre-Callum Wilson get injured. They got a striker once he was injured and they've strengthened the full-back positions. I still think they could have done with another centre-back and I still think they're an attacker late, but... I do think that they've accomplished a lot of what they set out to achieve. Yeah, and, and and obviously there's a lot of moving parts. There's lots of different factions in all of these deals, no less in our own consortium. <laughs> um, obviously, there's that, that's quite a difficult um, setup. That's very new for everybody in terms of the, the process led, as, as we've been told many times. Um, you know, were the, were the aims of all sort of factions of the of the consortium the owners were they all were they largely on the same page or did they have sort of different ideas about the kinds of players who could come in whether i'd say you know how might have wanted some sort of more dogged experienced players did did, did pif want that you know more marquee signings was there was there conflict there what what was your take on on that from what you gleaned chris I mean, I'll start at the end and work backwards a little bit. I think that there there have been some key moments in the window and they've involved when PIF have been there. There was the, the after the Cambridge game when Yasal Ramain was there to witness what had happened and he basically <laughs> then, he, he saw that Newcastle were incapable of scoring. And horrific incidents. Yeah, exactly. And so the message after that game was, it was, I was basically told that focused mind and that Newcastle were going to go out and sign someone and within a few days they had. Within a few days, Chris Wood was there Essentially, Newcastle agreed to pay his 25 million release clause because they needed him there and then. They needed him for the games against Watford and Leeds. He didn't score on either match, but he was a centre forward that they needed. So I think there was that key moment. And then there was another key moment, which came when they went to re- uh, when they went to Jeddah, sorry, for the training camp. And on the Monday, there was a meeting uh, with the transfer committee, and they also spoke to Yasser Ramayan again. And he said, "Go out and 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 complete this plan if you can." That was when they went out and then put in the bid for, for uh, Bruno Gamersh, who had been their key midfield target really throughout, but they hadn't actually made a move at that stage. They didn't know if it was possible. They didn't know if they were going to be back to go and do, but they were given that possibility to do that and then also to try and do the other business. They went and got burned eventually once they realised that Carlos wasn't going to happen. And they also brought in target. They tried for Lingard again. They tried for Hugo Ekatike, and that didn't happen. But in terms of the the... the who was actually in charge of transfers. Again, that's a very convoluted process that was going on through the window. So there wasn't a director of football in place. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a CEO. So there was there was essentially a transfer committee, but the, the players were identified largely by Steve Nixon, the, the, previous, the head of recruitment who's been there since the previous regime. But in many ways, he was actually given more power or at least more autonomy than he had previously to go out and try and find players or to propose players he'd proposed before or players who the scouting department had watched and hadn't been... Thought attainable in previous years, the likes of Bruno Gimresh had watched him for a few years. Nixon had even seen him when he was back in South America before he moved to Leon in early 2020. That became a possibility. But then he also, Howe was also, in some ways, almost a, a, a de facto director of football. I know for a fact that he was doing a lot more hands on work than he ideally would have liked to at a time when he is trying to completely restructure the team to, to play in his image, to, to coach the team. He very much wants to be on the, he's someone who likes to be in control in many ways, but equally coaching is his forte. That's what he wants to be doing. And him and Jason Tindler's assistant, who also has good contacts, that those two were involved in the transfer process. And then the deals were negotiated first by Nixon, 
then he would make the initial approach. Then Amanda Staveley would become involved. Then also Jamie Rubin would also become involved at various points. Mead Agadusi was also involved. So it's very, very complicated. And I know that, that there was at least a few occasions where they had sort of hinted it in the piece where they'd have discussions with representatives of a player or with a club. And it would be one element of the group who would have done the initial discussions and the next element of the group would maybe do the next discussions. And it would seem like the goalpost had shifted from Newcastle's side, not necessarily deliberately, but because maybe there was a breakdown in communication almost on their own side. And so whereas Newcastle felt that the goalpost shifted on the opposite side, there was mm. also the occasion where the the, the, the opposition, the club or the, the agent would also feel the same. So a very, very complicated process. Do you think there's a, a solution chat. to that? We need a WhatsApp group chat, a more effective <laughs> way of communicating, right? Just get what? them all in the same group. Well, exactly. I mean, there was even there was even points where certain elements of the certain people within the club, I don't think were entirely sure where certain negotiations stood because because at various points in Newcastle to try and land certain targets, we're doing almost like parallel negotiations. So several different players in one position at once. There weren't necessarily everyone wasn't necessarily sure as to how close any were at any particular time. And so that that again, I, I think that the solution when you when you're saying what is the solution to that, I think the solution becomes hopefully once the proper executive structure is in place. Lee Charnley left in November. And although I know a lot of Newcastle fans were pleased about that, it, in many ways actually you, you lost the one sort of person who who would who'd been and done that before. Jamie Rubin has a year's experience essentially on QPR's board, but he wasn't really involved directly in, in all this side of things. Newcastle did bring in Nicky Hammond before the window on a few days consultancy basis, basically to tell them how to handle negotiations, how to sort out contracts and the like. And my understanding is on a sort of like almost sort of ad hoc basis that continued throughout the window, but still they didn't have that sort of now that real structure and, and not have... It's not just the fact that it would be good to have that structure, to have that streamlined in that place. I think that that almost in a way some clubs or some agents or some directors of football's other clubs almost looked down on Newcastle's recruitment team because of their inexperience and didn't take them seriously or didn't want to engage with them almost almost snobbery to some extent whereas if you have experienced football people in those positions whether it's fair for that or not the likelihood is they can build up those relationships a lot more easily and they already have those contacts. They can already do that. And so if they can bring that experience in as they intend to do, it should be sorted hopefully within the next few weeks, then I think that will make it a lot more streamlined going into the summer. I suppose the one caveat to that is will PIF want to allow whoever it is to have that much autonomy? Will they still have to report to PIF? We don't quite know the answer to that question yet. Do you think, um, obviously having to be so involved in transfers that Eddie Howe and Jason Tindall, as you've as you've alluded to there, obviously they would have preferred to be doing the football side of things and it's maybe a, a distraction from that. However, do you think that there was obviously an element that well, you know, that's that you know that's a that's a real opportunity, a benefit for for Howe to have a, a proper seat at the table and to be, you know, making some big calls that otherwise if there was a director of football in, he might not actually have a chance to do so. So is was he kind of pleased to at least have maybe more control than maybe he thought he might have had? Or was this always kind of the plan when he was hired, um, obviously after the last window? Well, it was interesting because when he, when he was, when Howe was hired, before before he even got the job in, in his interviews for it, he presented a sort of case as to where he thought Newcastle needed to strengthen and what he thought he might do in that first window. And I suppose in one sense, he, he has benefited. He has got more power than that. And he has been backed. I mean, 
at least four of the of, of the five signings are very much how led. He wanted Premier League experience. Trippier was very much how led. Excuse me. Then they've got Dan Byrne, who came in eventually. Once once they couldn't get Carlos, once they couldn't get Botman, how said I want Premier League experience, and he he opted for for Dan Byrne, and and he got backed for that. He also got backed when he wanted to bring in Matt Target, despite the fact Newcastle had several options potentially at left back already. He was able to go and do that. Uh, so I, I think the only one really is is, is Bruno Gimmerich. But even then, how said yes, I want to take what was seen as a calculated gamble on Gimmerich. The only one that who hasn't got any Premier League experience previously. So in some ways, he probably he probably has benefited from that. And Newcastle have done things backwards in the sense that they appointed a head coach before they appointed a director of football. Howe is receptive to working with the director of football, and I'm sure it will work well going forward. But he, he probably was able to get maybe a little bit more of his way, given that it was, it was Steve Nixon he was working with. And the two of them have a good relationship. He also brought in Andy Howe, his nephew, who was in the recruitment team at Bournemouth. And he was almost like a... The, the sounding board who Eddie Howe needed, someone he's worked with previously, who knows exactly the type of. Now, I, I know some people looked at it, and there was there was there was accusations of, of sort of nepotism and all that sort of stuff, and and, I, and that will always follow it around. But Andy Howe also is is a good is a good operator. He was kept on by Bournemouth even when uh, Eddie Howe left, and also he knows exactly what Howe wants. He knows the specific. Characteristics he wants in a player for a certain position. He knows also which players how was looked at at Bournemouth previously that Bournemouth couldn't get that who, who were maybe unattainable for them who maybe could come in now and help. So he was he actually came in earlier in the window than, than I think was known at the time, and so he was he was very important. And again, that's Eddie Howe being allowed to bring someone in to who he knows and shows that probably he did have a lot more power than than maybe he even envisaged just a few months ago. Do you think that? Um... This, do, if if this is really successful, right? Eddie Howe's had more of a of a say, like you like you say, and um, if this is really successful, and and they've they've given him a lot of these players that he wanted, he wanted Premier League experience. He got Burn, he got Target, and we stay up. Do you think? And it's total conjecture, but do you think he would be given that more weight in the summer transfer window, even if there is a director of football? Or do you think that they'll take that kind of? remit back a little bit and and trust and and director of football if we've got one I think that he'll I think that he'll certainly if those signings work out I think you'll certainly have be able to go in and say look the, the yeah. my my judgment has worked so far that I think you should back me but equally he's it was interesting he was asked in a, in a press conference a few weeks ago about whether he had the final say on players and it was sort of an interesting answer a similar one to which Rafa Benitez used to give, and that Rafa Benitez used to be basically he was contract it was in his contract that he would have the final say when he was Newcastle United manager, right. but he would also make the point that he has the final say on signings that are attainable. It, he might have had the final say on who was his eighth choice centre forward, but he he's he's said that he wants that player to come in, but it wasn't the player he necessarily wanted to begin with. But he he, he hasn't said no to it because he needs a centre forward. He couldn't get any of the first seven he wants, so he gets that. So. Right. Eddie Howe sort of qualified it by saying it's it's a collegiate approach. We all have it. We all have an input. He basically said he would take responsibility for any players who come in, but also he, he sort of I, I sort of got the impression at that stage of the window that he wasn't sure he was going to get as much Premier League experience as he wanted. Mm-hmm. But clearly, by the end, as desperation to an extent took hold, as Newcastle were able to eventually negotiate deals late on in the window, it turns out that four of the five players he's got 
have Premier League experience in that sense. That's precisely what I want. That's precisely what you need in this situation. If Newcastle to survive, they need people who are going to come in and perform against Everton next Tuesday, not perform in, in, in three years' time. As, as brilliant as that would be and, and as great as, as, as hopefully Gimresh will, there's no guarantee that he will do that on Tuesday. How believes he, he signed as much as close to a guarantee for the other positions as he can. Yeah, they kind of feel, they do feel like sort of house signings. And just a, a little note on his on on nephew Andy. Um, you know, Eddie Eddie comes across as a man of integrity. So you you kind of I don't think he would ever make a move that wouldn't make sense for the football club or no. um, be be right and proper. That's that's the impression I get. Certainly, I, do you do you feel that same way? Yeah, I definitely feel that same way. There's also someone I was chatting to, to someone about this last week. Someone, someone who who, who knows Andy Howe, and, and basically saying that he always finds it funny when these sort of accusations come up because basically in football, it, it is about who you know and it's about who you trust and whether that's a family member or what. Eddie Howe, who did he bring onto his coaching team? He brought Jason Tindall and the other coaches he had at Bournemouth. Why? Because he knows them, because he trusts them. They're not family members, but he knows and trusts them. Follow them around. How many managers have the same coaches wherever they go? How many managers have the same fitness people wherever they go? It's just the same. It's just a very similar sort of situation. It just happens to be that they're related, but that, that he wouldn't have brought them to the club if he didn't think he was going to give them a benefit. You just have got to see his work ethic since he's been at Newcastle United, Eddie Howe. The, the fact that he, he is, he, he has... This last month, I mean, he's done nothing other than coach the players, then come off the training ground and try and sort out transfers, prepare the next training session, go back on the training ground. That's basically been his life for the last, actually, I say longer than the last month. It was before the window. He is not he's not just bringing mates in because because that's what he wants to do and do them a favour. He's bringing in people who he thinks can help him and help the football club. Loads more to come from Chris Woff after some messages. But if you love what we do, if you um, we, we can offer you up to 20 to 30 podcasts every month for a paltry sum of 660 a month uh with lots of lots of guests lots of insight lots of analysis from the whole true faith team we'd love to see you there give us a chance and we'll see you after these messages we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the True Faith Podcast. This is the Transfer Show. Uh, we have guest um, Chris Woff of The Athletic, who was um, running on fumes and um, <laughs> desperate for sleep. I, I fear he'll enter some sort of state of hibernation in the month of February. And hopefully he'll still, um, you know, um, manage to make it to the games. Um, 
to fulfill his contractual obligations. Um, Hopefully, some goals for Newcastle United will make me yeah, up on him there think, as well. I so. think we're going to our performances are going to wait you up from next Tuesday. That's what I think. <laughs> Chris, um, in your in your in your long read with uh, Colkin, George <laughs> Colkin, George Colkin that we uh, that we referenced earlier, you, you did mention. Now, I'm really interested about this. How the owners, you know, we, we talked about that they're perceived. Um, you know, lack of experience and weren't necessarily maybe taken as seriously or didn't have the respect. Um, but y- your piece sort of references how there was there were kind of mixed mixed reactions to the to the owners and how they they approached their business. Um, some, like you say, it sort of laughed them off a bit, didn't really give them uh, the respect. Um, but others, you said they were they were excellent and um, were very professional. Um, what was your general feeling? Do you think they've come out of this window? Um, with with that credibility in the in the football landscape, I think that there's always going to be some elements who are going to going to look down upon them because they don't like when new people come in who are inexperienced. I also think, and this is probably an accusation which which won't go down well with some, but I also think certainly when Stavely was involved, there's probably a degree of, of sexism involved in, in in certain elements of it. Um, but I also think certainly with some agents. And even with some clubs, I think Newcastle's owners have come out of this well. And I know, I mean, I was surprised when David Ornsey, my colleague, reported uh, in December that Newcastle were growing increasingly confident that they could get Sven Botman. I mean, no one they'd been liked by Nixon for a long time. But at that stage, I thought that that seemed like a long shot. But Newcastle really impressed um, Botman's people. They really impressed Botman with how they handled themselves, with how they came across with the vision that they sold for the club and how they saw Botman fitting into that, how he was going to be part of the the rebuild going forward. He was going to be sort of one of the face of the of the new era. Um, and then also, for example, the, the approach to, to Brighton for, for Dan Ashworth as um, director of football or football director, whatever position that's going to be. Brighton saw Newcastle as handling that in exemplary fashion. Also when Newcastle uh, made an inquiry about Eve Basuma, the same sort of, Thing they said that, that they did exactly the right thing. They came through the front door. There was no sort of backhanded approach. Newcastle have tried to, to, to be open in, in all of the business this month. They haven't. They, they, I know that certain directors at, at other clubs, if on, certainly on deadline day or the last few days of the window, when Newcastle were trying to get certain players, Stavely herself was calling the directors at other clubs and saying, "This is what we're thinking. We're going to try and do." She was being open about that. The same with Gadusi, the same with Ruben. And so I think that, that they have great gained credibility from some. I think others just will not have let them see the light of day. They're just, they're just not interested in that. They, they, they don't see them as being football people. They've already made the, their minds up on that. And some clubs, I think, did get frustrated with with some of Newcastle's tactics. I, I, I know that one thing that kept repeatedly coming up was a lot of the deals Newcastle were trying to do involved add-ons in certain circumstances, a lot of which was to do with survival. And it, that makes sense in a lot of ways because if Newcastle survive, then that th- them putting an outlay of, of however many add-ons makes sense for everyone because Newcastle have, have got the money and stayed up, they've survived, they've got their goal, and, and then the, the club receives a bonus for that. But some of the club, some of the other add-ons on top of survival bonuses were things to do with getting into getting into Europe or high qualification of that. And, and some clubs basically thought them as being completely unrealistic. Well, mm. it, if you look at where Newcastle are on the table right now, that, that does seem to be the case. But equally, it sort of belies the actual ambition that there is with, within the form. I mean, the first day that Amanda Staveley sat after after the, 
on the day that the deal was signed was that we're going to win the Premier League within five to ten years. That that's the yeah. ambition. And so it's it, it's just, it was sort of a curious t- difficulty in, in negotiations that they had there. It's like, well, well, that is what we believe we're going to do. And then they go, well, you, you your third bottom of the Premier League, you could be in the Championship next year. Do you think do you think we're stupid? Do you think we're going to take that? And so that's what I mean about that's just one example of how difficult this window. Was. It's it's all about perception. It's all about what Newcastle are now and what the owners want them to be. And 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 also. The, the money that, that some people think Newcastle have, which in theory they may have access to, but this idea that they're just going to go and throw money everywhere. I mean, it was very early in the window, the mess- well, even before the window, the message was Newcastle are not going to suddenly break their wage structure. They're not going to go and sign Coutinho and spend £250,000 on them. They're not going to sign Usman Dembele. And yet, for weeks on end, the amount of journalists from Barcelona who would ring me and say, people in Barcelona are telling us that Newcastle have offered uh, Usman Dembele uh, 250 grand. He's going he's to come to Newcastle. Like, he's not going to come. I, I, can't, I cannot repeat this often enough that Newcastle are not going to sign. Was, I said, in the summer, that might be a different equation. And I know that there have been sort of tentative talks in terms of, yes, well, we may look at players like that come the summer if we survive. But at the minute, Newcastle are not looking at anyone like that. And also clubs abroad were also, it was quite interesting. Whenever Newcastle got close or thought they were getting close to signing a player, suddenly there seemed to be reports emerging in the country that he was in, certainly in France and also in Spain, that Newcastle have offered four or five times his wages and said, well, that would then take him to more than double Newcastle's current earner. And basically, it's 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 what a lot of clubs do in that situation. It's like, look, we are, this is why he went. Newcastle were offering him this much money. And, mm-hmm. and, they, and they were undoubtedly offering him significant pay rises, but it was nowhere near some of the figures reported. And that's where it was just so much misinformation in this window. And that, and that's, that was, it was try, trying to wade through all that was, was very, very difficult throughout. I imagine it's, um, yeah, how, how you deal with that misinformation and obviously all those different agendas having to separate the wheat from the chaff I guess and what's actually you know key information and what's just sort of bluster or uh, misdirection you know um, was I imagine that was pretty difficult to 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 sort of navigate would you say? It was yeah and 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 it was The difficulty with the, with the window was that Newcastle were linked with with, with so many players, but there, there was a shred of truth in, in a heck of a lot of them because they they did sort of fire out inquiries or make like tentative sort of chats with so many, but basically to try and find who might be available. They were they were trying to do something which was which which had never been done before, and and to the caliber of player they were looking at, they knew they weren't necessarily going to get first choices, and so they were looking to see who, who can we actually get in this position, who who will come to us, and so. Even if it was just a conversation where agents had put somebody to them and they said, all right, well, we'll look at that. Then suddenly that gets reported as Newcastle trying to sign X, Y or Z. Newcastle go to a club and say, oh, we're thinking we're just we're just looking to see centre-backs who might be available. Suddenly they're looking after them and trying to work through all that was, was very, very difficult. I mean, I spent one day uh, during the final week of the window just before, just before it turned out that it was Gimaresh really going to go for that. Basically, there was a, I mentioned it in the piece, there was a very complex deal being proposed, well, being suggested from in from Italy that AC Milan w- w- didn't really want uh, Timu Bakayoko from Chelsea anymore, who's on loan there, so they would be willing to let him go back to Chelsea, and then Newcastle would negotiate a deal on top of that. And I spent the best part of a day trying to get that firmed up <laughs> on, on my end. And it was, and it, but that's just one example of what there was throughout the month. There's mm. another example of a, of a player at the African Cup of Nations who I mentioned who the camera play, people within the, the coaches within the Cameroon camp thought that he was signing for Newcastle. That was that was basically they thought it was a done deal. And then you actually go and speak to both the agent and the club. And they're like, no, well, Newcastle spoke to us in November and we 
haven't heard from them since. It's like, well, apparently the deal the people are saying the deal is done, and it's just there was so much, there was just so much to wade through that it was very, very difficult to ever be on top of it. I mean, it's very difficult anyway in any transfer window. But when it's sudden, when there's suddenly so many names, and it, it's 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 a strength of some of the reports as well. I mean, if you if you read a paper in Portugal or you read a paper in in Italy, at some point Newcastle had basically already signed certain players who sudden who it's suddenly like bloody hell, I didn't even know I didn't even know they were looking at him. And then you go into it to find out that actually no, that this is this isn't happening. But in that, but for some reason it's been reported. And that's it, they've gone from being the club who there was the odd rumor. Lingering still in France from the Graham Carr days, Portugal have always, for some reason, done bizarre rumours about Newcastle. But in general, <laughs> there aren't that many sort of never because Mike Ashley's club weren't going to do that much business. So suddenly now every single club is being linked, every single player is being linked with with Newcastle United, and it's just it 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 was it to, to go from one to the other is I don't think that ever has happened before. Man City to an extent, but I still don't think it was it was quite what it is now because of. Because Man City didn't have a window quite as pressing as Newcastle did in terms of the business they had to do and the business they had to do now. It's really interesting, and it's it's really like it's been such a kind of exhausting, but a bit of a hoot, really, from a fan perspective. Because to be linked with all these players and to kind of um, actually not not just a like end of the deadline uh, window, end of the transfer window. Um, random links just to sound like we're doing something actually like we're being linked with all these players all through the window and there's actual possibility we're going to get them and there's actual possibility that they're being spoken to from a fan perspective that's been something strange to adjust to and from as you say there from a journalist perspective it's it's been an adjustment but I can definitely see how it's been less less of a hoot from your perspective um Go on. Well, no, I was going to say, it, it, I, I realised that I come across as very whingy, so, so I apologise. No, 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 It was, it, it, it was exhilarating in, in many ways as well. And, and, and the, the, the difference, the key difference between this window and previous windows is, is that previous windows, the default position would be, we don't really need to do anything. We'll maybe see. We'll maybe see if we can do it. Whereas this window was, we want to see if we can do something. And if it doesn't happen, it's not because we haven't tried to go and do it. It's not because we've left nothing to chance. We have gone and tried to do it. We will make mistakes, and the, the mistakes were undoubtedly made throughout the window. There, there's, there's, there, there is no question of that, and I think the owners themselves would admit that in certain points of it. But they went and they tried to actually do it, whereas previously it was always it was almost felt like there was a blocker, and it had to get beyond their own. A mental block to, to go and actually mm. do something and to to have gone from as, as as happened on on deadline day in the summer where you basically had steve bruce trying to unilaterally sign hamza charity because the club were briefing that they weren't <laughs> going to sign you on to suddenly the club basically going to try and sign just about every single person on the list at least trying at least having conversations it's just incredible that within the space of four months that is what happened i mean that deadline day in the summer i still still go back it was just bizarre that 10 10 30 i think it was message coming out from the club that you know we're not signing anyone and it's like no one has told steve bruce this steve bruce is still trying to steve bruce is still trying to sign players and every every fan thought that newcastle needed more players well it was yeah the the, the fact that they only they've signed a centre-back with 15 minutes to go in the january window they haven't signed a centre-back since the summer of 20, since August 2018. Steve Bruce spent his entire time as head coach trying to sign a centre-back and they failed to sign a centre-back during that whole time. So <laughs> it's 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 just, it's just, it, it is, it is incredible. 
Do you, do you think the approach that we've taken in this window overall, and and I sort of include that link, that ridiculous Lingard thing with you know having to pay fifteen million and probably not even getting to keep him at the end, all that all that kind of stuff, the silliness, the the Newcastle tax, as you as you as you call it in your piece. Um, do you think how we've approached things in January does that sort of protect us a bit in terms of our reputation of how we deal and in terms of showing that we're not necessarily a pushover and we won't just pay anything. Um, do you think we've, we're protected um, when we kind of go into some negotiations, provided we stay up, of course, that's the big caveat. But you also mentioned that the Chris Wood um, activation of that 25 million clause might have hurt us a bit. Yeah, I think it's. I think it's both. You can look at it both ways. I think that that the fact that Newcastle, if they, if they'd done the Lingard deal, then I think that that would have set a very dangerous precedent because it was it would have it was essentially going to be what one million pound in appearance, and they weren't necessarily going to keep him at the end. And I just think then a lot of clubs would it would have looked at it in the future and gone, well, he paid that then. I want you to pay it now. They they found similar problems with, with the Wood deal. I mean, the Wood deal was something that they felt they had to go and do. And it, it was a deal they could go and do. But the problem was that earlier on in the window, at least in some negotiations with some overseas clubs, the conversation had been, we're not spending that much money this this month. I know you, you've seen all this stuff about richest club in the world. We're not going to go and do that. And as soon as I spent £25 million, essentially for a striker who was going to be the reserve striker when... The, the, the first choice striker is fit. Other clubs went. Hang on a second. No, you, you're not taking the piss out of us. And that 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 was so. Newcastle were trying not to, to people not to take the piss out of them, and it became the, the other clubs were seeing it the other way around. So I think they're always going to have an issue, and I think they all they are probably always going to have, or certainly in the in the, in the medium term, going to have a quote unquote Newcastle tax. And to an extent, they're just going to have to pay it. They they were they, they were for certain players this month. There were prices for certain clubs, and then significantly higher prices. For Newcastle, they shouldn't go to that extreme. But if they if they need to pay a little bit more to get those players, then that is that is a premium they're probably going to have to to put up with. But I think the summer will be different because if they survive, because they they won't be as desperate by then. They will have hopefully had deals in place and sorted before. They will have that executive structure in place, those relationships, as I said previously. And that, that part part of the issue this this month was just the, the complete desperation. That the clubs knew they were desperate, and that if for me one of the mis- and this is easy for me to say in hindsight, but one of the the mistakes I think that was made in the window was I think that they should have gone and signed a centre back early in the window who was gettable, even if it wasn't who they really wanted. Nat Phillips deal was there to be done. To be fair, Eddie Howe didn't really want them, and in the end, they didn't go for him. But equally, if they'd signed a centre back early in the window, then they wouldn't. Every time they've got no club, the club the Otherwise, for a centre back afterwards, we're like, well, we, we know you're desperate for centre back. We know you need a centre back, and and so that they, they, they backed themselves into a difficult corner there because it was it was always the position they needed. And so clubs knew to an extent they had them over a barrel, and so that would be that would be for me one of the learning because there'd be many, and they got a lot of things right, and they, they managed to, to to I think they were right not to to pay the money for Lingard. I think they were right not to meet certain other demands that were put out there. But they, they did probably pay more than they wanted to for Gamersh in the end. But they thought, let's go and do, let's go and sign him, let's go and bring him in. We think he can make a difference. There's a bit of a gamble there, but equally, the, we the, the PIF said, let let's go and do it. So, yeah, it's 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 it'll be interesting to see how how prices are dif- differ between them and other clubs during the summer window. I still think there will be a premium, but I don't think it'll be quite as high. I definitely thought it was a desperation tax rather than a you're a rich club now tax 
like I, you, you have so much leverage over, you know, when, when it's the, it's, what is the word? It's a seller's market, isn't it? These, these people are desperate for a centre back, for a centre forward, for midfield strength, like, you know, desperate. And at that point you can kind of say, well, you've come to us and we can name our price. I don't, I, I think, the how rich we are is probably in the back of people's heads but i do think the desperation plays a much bigger part yeah I, I just I, I i think there were just there were just so many factors. i mean it's difficult a few a few times i've been asked to to, to go on sort of podcast or whatever and explain this but oh, why, why is it why is it newcastle i find it difficult to say in players during the height of the window and say I, I i could give you a list as, as long as my arm if you want it's very difficult to just give you one reason that their position is is unique no club has ever done this before and and the desperation is is a key element in which I think sometimes gets other people just say about the money. But the, the, the desperate if Newcastle had got loads of money in October, suddenly suddenly the position had changed. But they were twelfth on the table and seven points clear of the relegation zone. They wouldn't be desperate, so they wouldn't be trying to for a start. They wouldn't be trying to do as much business, and yeah. but also the business they could do, they could more easily have walked away. And other clubs would have known they could more easily have walked away, whereas yeah. they knew they had to get players this month, and so that made the negotiation negotiating position even more difficult. Exactly, yeah, a very unique uh, window, one that we probably won't see again, as you as you've alluded to. Before before we wrap up, Chris, and we will let you. Uh, we will let you leave and sleep for, for <laughs> many many hours. About transfers. <laughs> Um, you know, looking at the relegation picture, the fact that we've strengthened more than our rivals, do you think Eddie Howe will keep us up now? And what, what if you had any whispers from maybe any colleagues from some of who are covering some of the relegation rivals that we have? What is their perception of the business done, and are they are they running scared? Do you think? Just before getting into the actual perception, now what was interesting in the in the sort of months leading up to the window was every single time I spoke to to my colleagues, but also in, in general journalists who covered other clubs, it was always particularly those ones of other relegation rivals. It was always well, Newcastle will be fine because they'll just they'll just go and spend in January. And it was I'm sat there like I watch them every week. I'm telling you that they're, they're not they're not just suddenly that it's going to take a heck of a lot to make this team suddenly be fine. And by that I mean by that stage to begin with, they hadn't won a single game. Then they'd only won one match, and and but there's always been this that you you felt that with opposition fans as well as journalists that there's this idea that Newcastle will survive because they'll do enough in January. Do I think that they've done that? I think that they've given themselves a very good chance and I think that they will survive. I think it's going to be a long slog through the end of the season. I don't think they now have a squad, which is, I don't think it's been transformative in the sense that I don't think they're suddenly go, going to go and finish 10th in the league. I don't think they're going to go on a, to, 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 to trans, to change from only winning two of your first 20 uh, odd matches to, to then going to win five in a row is very, very difficult. And I hope they go and do and I hope they prove me wrong, but I think it's going to take a lot for that to happen. So I, I think they will survive. And the, 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 impression that I'm getting from a lot of other journalists who I speak to is the same. I've spoken to a few of their clubs who now look at it as in, well, Watford, Watford are the ones who could pip them because Roy Hodgson's gone in there, but equally Everton. And I do think that next Tuesday, is, it, it is massive. And I mean, we've, we've almost to a degree forgotten about it over the course of the last week because there's so much business yeah. been going on. But that game is huge. If Newcastle beat Everton, then you could really see the backside drop out of Everton. I mean, that they are a dysfunctional club. They've been dysfunctional all season. They're at civil war to a certain extent. They're in no form whatsoever either. They've signed a couple of players who 
a few years ago, anybody would have loved to have in their team. But now Van der Beek's barely had a game and, and Ali, there's a lot of question marks around him. And you think, and they've brought in, in Frank Lampard, there's question marks about him and, and how, how he can perform as their manager. So I, I think Newcastle will survive. As I say, I think it's going to be a bumpy road to the end of the season, but I do think they will just about do it. It does. You heard it here first. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it does. It just doesn't need to be pretty, doesn't it? Does it? I said this on a podcast yesterday. I don't care how we do it now. If it's scrappy little horrible wins, I will take them because what this window has shown to me is how much promise we have and how how much we are looking for a real like really to build on what we've got. So. I'm. Uh, I'm just. I. I'm with you, Chris. I think. Well, I think. Well, well the re- the reason the reason why I think I think that they'll do it is not just because of the of the of the actual players they've brought in. It's because of the type of players they've brought in, both in terms of from a character point of view, but also what Eddie Howe has tried to do since he came in in November is change the style of play, and and he's mm. been able to do it to a certain degree, but not to the to the benefit that he wanted in terms of results. But he's brought in. He's he didn't get the two centre backs he wanted, but he's got one who was played in the Green Potter way for the last few years, and that's why when people go, "Oh, well, it's Dan Byrne," and I understand that maybe from a defensive technical point of view, he might not be streets ahead of Newcastle's other defenders, but he can play the way how wants his defence to play. He can hopefully move them higher up the pitch. He has two fullbacks now who will play the way he wants to play at Bournemouth. Fullbacks for the majority of his seasons at Bournemouth would have the majority of the touches, a lot of the attacks, a lot of the crosses came via the fullbacks. He now has two fullbacks who can do that. He has a midfielder who's a bit of a gamble in the short term, but equally who can actually hold the ball, who can actually retain possession and also crucially progress possession, which Newcastle haven't had. And that that is so key and means Newcastle can hopefully shift five or ten yards further up the pitch, which will help them both in attack and defence. And then Chris Wood is just a sign that he had to make, but one with Premier League experience. So that's why I think that it's just it's the sort of players that Howe needs for what he wants to do, and hopefully has enough time for those players to make enough of an impact to keep them up. Well, it's over to Eddie now, and uh, we'll see if these new signers can make an impact. I obviously think there's going to be a bit of a a uh, bit of ex- a lot more excitement from the stands to see lots of new players. I think that'll always hopefully provide a bit of a bounce, but we will see in due course. Stick with True Faith for all the coverage of those huge fixtures coming up and to see some very exciting debuts. De- <laughs> debuts, we hope. Um, Chris Woff, thank you very much for joining us. Um, you you can you can crawl back to your bed and um, <laughs> just, yeah, just just, just when you just when you mention I don't need to think about transfers. There was actually this is this is true. There's, there was a night one night last week where I sort of you know when you're in that state where you don't know whether you're awake or asleep. And I thought that I'd I'd texted someone high up in Newcastle and got into an argument about them transfers and I didn't know whether I was awake or asleep and I sort of was lying there for about half an hour and I had to eventually get up and check my phone just to check it hadn't actually happened because I wasn't sure that's sort of how how the, the amount of communication that was going back and forth and things like that that's that's what it's been like so ho- hopefully hopefully I won't have any more of those dreams so yeah more transfer delirium please <laughs> right we'll we'll wrap it up there Charlotte thank you very much uh Chris come back and talk to us very soon um And listeners, thanks very much for sticking with us on True Faith. This has been The Transfer Show. I've been Adam, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye-zee-bye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.